Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Hawaii is a crossroads of the East and the West and the Pacific and has found a way to integrate the healing traditions of both cultures for a lot of our patients right here in the islands. But we're not perfect at it. There's a lot of different ways in which we could expand our knowledge base and find ways to treat medical conditions, not just using a conventional path, but also integrating with some of the other types of medical traditions that have kept humanity alive for the last several hundred thousand years. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Lissa Rankin. She is a physician who has embarked on a decade-long journey to try and find out the answer to why some people do everything right and don't get better, and others seem to do nothing extraordinary and they recover pretty immediately. How does healing work, and are there really such things as miracles? Well, I am excited to hear more about this. You've just written a book, Sacred Medicine, that has just come out and sure to be a blockbuster book, particularly for people who have this question about how can you do both? How can you integrate traditional healing and conventional medicine? And can that work better than either alone? So thank you for joining me today on The Body Show, Dr. Rankin. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And thank you to everybody who's listening, too. Now, you recently had an opportunity to spend some time in the islands. You were lucky enough to spend about two weeks in Kona, and I do hope that you're able to come back soon. Did you find something unique about the way in which Hawaii experiences uh, that you had a chance to experience what we have here in the culture? Oh, well, you know, one of the things that I'm most grateful about with the Hawaiian cultures and other other indigenous cultures that I visited, such as Bali and um, places in Peru, like in the Andes with the Caros, I was really, really appreciating the traditions of sort of making offerings to places in nature and to be able to sort of have those heart-opening experiences of gratitude where we are sort of treating the land and, you know, the mountains, the volcanoes, the oceans, the the beaches, um, treating these places as kind of beings in that more animist tradition of some of the indigenous cultures. And I was just really took, took myself, uh, took that upon myself to go to many of the sacred sites to, to make plumeria lays. I would pick them from the backyard of the doctor who was giving me uh, the bless, blessing of being able to stay in her guest house and make lays and take them to these various places to make tradition, traditional offerings including in Volcanoes National Park, and was really, really grateful to be able to go, um, you know, to the, to the, the I don't, I, I probably am not using the language correct, to the crater, to be able to make these offerings to Pele and to the volcanoes, and that was just really incredibly heart-opening for me. And I appreciated the various traditions that informed me in that way, including the Hawaiian traditions. So, yeah, it was very... Um, especially after having been cooped up during COVID for so long. It was really, really an honor to be able to be on the islands right after they had just kind of opened back up and just the intense gratitude that I felt for the Hawaiian land and the peoples and my, my very privileged opportunity to be there during such a difficult time. Well, and it certainly sounds, and you pronounced everything correctly. You really incorporated what, what, people locally call the respect for the aina, for the land, 
for for all of the provisions that we have which come from that and finding ways to honor that in such a way that is definitely different than other people may experience on different islands or if they go into a more tourist area which may not allow them to have that same experience or even even have that be opening up to them now you well i was very grateful to some of the indigenous hawaiians that follow me on my facebook page because they were really quite schooling me some of them were a bit triggered that I was visiting as a tourist in this time where, you know, the there's some there's a real sensitivity around trying to protect the safety of the Hawaiian people and this was in July, so it was right after things had opened up and I had just been, you know, in my window of vaccination. But I was very grateful to the indigenous Hawaiians who were basically saying, If you're here, please, please, please do it this way. And I really took that to heart. So I was incredibly grateful for the you know, the education about just really making sure, even after 10 years of doing offering practices around the world with various indigenous practitioners, to have the reminder of, you are in Hawaii, this is our land. Like, honor it respectfully. Don't be one of those ugly, <laughs> ugly mainland American tourists who, you know, feels entitled to something rather than, you know, praying with gratitude for the privilege of being able to be on this land. Well, and you... It sounds like you are very open to some of their suggestions, which is unique in and of itself to even have folks who can share that experience with you and also give you some advice that you truthfully, crucially take and trying to make sure that you're respectful of the location and also of the land and the stewardship that everyone has put into making this a place that is, is such a desirable place to come visit and to experience. Now, the beginning of your book, you start off telling this, what, what I was gripped reading this story of, of being on a beach in an overlook and then seeing, you know, what was this beautiful, serene experience turning into kind of a medical horror story. And it, it, as soon as you read that in the first couple of pages, it just, it grips you. And I felt like I have to find what happens. And I remember seeing on some of your Facebook posts, a little description of the journey that this whole entire healing process took. What was that experience like? And it became the, the first chapter of the book that just keeps you riveted reading. Well, I, so I was, I was mauled by a pit bull. Uh, is what happened. I was standing there with the owners. The dog was on a leash. Everybody was just watching the sunrise. Everything was very calm, and I don't know what provoked the dog because we were all just calm, and the dog was on a leash and whatever, but something spooked the dog, and the dog wound up going for my groin right over my femoral artery on my right leg and took a chunk, of, a big chunk of skin off of my inner thigh through my yoga pants. And this was, you know, this is, <laughs> here I am, writing this book, I didn't have any obvious healing journey or medical injury or illness that I was working with myself. This was more of an intellectual journey. And suddenly it became very personal. And the young man who owned the pit bull, who was just absolutely horrified and, you know, what do I do? Do I call 911? And I live out in the country. We're quite far from a hospital. It would take at least, you know, 40 minutes for an ambulance to get out here. And I said, no. And this, this was a time where I was really having already written about what I call the whole health intelligences, which are mental intelligence, emotional intelligence, intuitive intelligence, and somatic intelligence. Like, how do we make a medical decision in a crisis like that? What am I going to do now? Am I going to ask him to drive me to the hospital? Am I going to wait for 911? Or, or am I going to do something different? And 
I was, I say lucky, practiced, but also blessed to get very, very clear guidance. And some of you who are listening, who know what I am talking about uh, when it comes to guidance in a crisis, you might know that sometimes when there's an emergency, the guidance comes through even more clearly. And it was very clear coming through, don't go to the hospital. And this is not something I would recommend for everybody. I was lucky it did not hit my femoral artery. I was able to palpate it, and it was quite close, but it had not nicked my artery. So I was bleeding, but it was just capillary bleeding. And what I was sensing was that with this open wound with a dog bite injury, which is, you know, the mouth is full of bacteria, that the biggest issue for my healing was going to be not getting an infection in that site and that going to, you know, uh, an emergency room where there's antibiotic-resistant bacterias and nosocomial infections that we can be at risk of. I, I decided to do it sort of a hybrid. One of my best friends is an emergency room physician. I called him STAT, and I said, is it possible that I can avoid going to the hospital, and how do I do this safely? And I sent him an, a photo, and he literally walked me through. Now, I, this is a privilege that most people don't have to be able to just have a very, very good ER doctor who's also an energy healer on speed dial in my phone. So I wouldn't recommend that most people do what I did. But what, what unfolded over the next hour or two was really quite remarkable because as I was getting this guidance, it was kind of giving me, okay, call this energy healer and ask this person to start working on me. Okay, the ER doctor was calling in an antibiotic and instructing me on how to lavage the wound in my bathtub and how to make an appointment with a plastic surgeon to get a surgery consult to see whether or not, you know, that's something that's going to be possible. And then my Native American medicine man friend was sending, you know, FedExing me some bare root to try to put a poultice on this. And then my integrative medicine mind-body doctor friend was calling in various supplements and telling me which nutritional things to uh, bolster my nutritional the nutritional aspect of my healing so that my body could start making collagen and needing extra protein. And I was calling a trauma therapist to say, I, I want to address this right away so I don't get PTSD or a dog phobia. I love dogs. I love, I love all dogs. I know some people have a big trigger around a pit bull. I didn't want to be frightened of any dog, including pit bulls. And so we were sort of working on the trauma right away, and all of this was happening very quickly. And then the healing itself went, this happened, I think, in April, and it didn't close until August. And during this time, my mother had also been diagnosed with stage four cancer and became very sick very quickly. So the two of us wound up on a healing journey together. And I was able to actually, you know, really put into place what I had been studying sort of at a more cognitive level or sort of in a more distant way to be like, oh, how do I do, how do I do a medical emergency? And I went to the surgeon, and the surgeon said, there's no way this is going to close. You're going to have to have, you're going to have to wait six to eight weeks. We're going to have to prepare the bed of the wound, make sure it doesn't get infected, do wet-to-dry dressing changes twice a day. And then we're going to have to do skin grafts and take skin from other parts of your body. And it may or may not take. This is going to take multiple surgeries, sort of like we're treating a burn. And I just, again, I got that, no, that's not how we're going to do this. But it didn't mean that I rejected conventional medicine. While I was also doing these other uh, healing practices and interventions, I, went, I wound up going to sort of the charity hospital in the area where people who can't necessarily afford multiple plastic surgeries to repair a wound 
where the doctors there are used to people with significant wounds, like diabetic wounds or people without insurance. And I went to her. She's a longtime meditator, has been meditating for 30 years. And I said, please, I need help. I'm getting my spiritual guidance, my intuitive guidance is saying, I'm going to do this a different way, but I really want an expert to facilitate this with me. And months later, when the wound closed, she and I were speaking, and she said, you know what, I I just knew from your certainty that we were going to do this together. And I had never asked my patients to check in with their intuition and tell me whether, whether surgery was the right thing. And she said, I really thought you needed surgery. But you were clear that you weren't going to go that way. And so she wound up helping me with various wound healing measures and collagen meshes and other kinds of technologies, but not surgery. So it wasn't like I healed myself or I rejected conventional medicine and healers did it, you know, energy healers did it all. It was very, very much a weaving of these various practices. And I felt in retrospect, I mean, I look at it now, it's closed, there's a scar, but I I look at it like my... I'm sort of proud of it. Like, my body did that. And I had such incredible support, and I didn't do it alone. And so it was obviously a horrible situation, but it wound up becoming a big part of the book. That it definitely did. And I'll tell you, when I started reading it, I was riveted. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and when we come right back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Lissa Rankin about what are some of the ways that you can integrate and weave together different medical traditions to establish sort of a whole health approach to how we need to look at healing. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm excited to have Dr. Lissa Rankin on the line. She has just written and published a book, Sacred Medicine, that was incorporating 10 years of intellectual but personal study about what are the different healing traditions and how using those collectively can actually potentially help further our healing, not just for a wound, but for our whole entire body. Now, right before the break, we were talking about this experience that you had with this dog bite. But I think it sort of mirrors some of the some of the things that you might have seen amidst your journey going to some of these indigenous populations and really trying to experience how they follow healing. I think, you know, too often we have a very, very one way approach to looking at a wound. Therefore, you must have surgery and do this and do that. And yet you took this sort of comprehensive, integrative approach looking at how to support the body in producing collagen, how to deal with with trying to prevent infection, but also how to maintain healthy status of the tissue in the wound without doing surgery. It sounds like that experience that you had might have echoed in some of the journeys that you've, you've taken in the past that you describe in the book with different people in, in lands like Peru or lands like Bali, where they have a different approach to illness and they, they take a look at it from an entirely different concept. Did you notice that as you were experiencing this yourself, that you, you had parallels to things you've seen elsewhere? Well, I did. And, I, you know, one of the things that was so moving to me in working with these various traditions is that what I recognized was that the approach to the therapeutic relationship could not have been more different. 
And when I say that, what I mean is that many of the indigenous healers approached the suffering individual who was coming with whatever, whatever they were asking for healing around. They approached it with ritual, often with sound or song or a variety of different um, hands-on practices or intuitive diagnostic practices. It was often in community where, you know, in conventional medicine, we have all our HIPAA privacy laws and everything's kind of, you know, secret, hidden and in one room. And often there would be a whole circle of people holding space and sort of praying or meditating and, um, you know, being with the individual that was receiving the healing. And part of what I realized is that what these these indigenous healers were doing so beautifully is that they were attending to the trauma of the suffering. They were attending to the humanity of the person and the wounding of maybe what had led to that. And sometimes that wounding was things like asking people what what else was happening when you got sick? What was happening at home? And what was happening in your mind? And what memories were coming up? And what flashbacks were happening? And so it really opened a portal for me to recognize not only were they, in a way, healing trauma through these various rituals in community and in ritual space, but also sort of pointing to various root causes of what might have been an underpinning of the illnesses. And some of those underpinnings, and this was, this was surprising to me, I was surprised by how many of the indigenous traditions began with asking sort of, when did you become disconnected from nature, or when did you stop making your offerings to Mother Earth or Pachamama or the various names given to the earth goddesses or the mountain spirits or, you know, these various animist traditions with their, um, you know, their beliefs in these, in these beings that inhabit these various aspects of nature. And I had never thought about having a disconnection with nature or um, coming out of connection with nature or stopping doing offering practices or, you know, it's, I had come as a sort of white American mainlander. I had, you know, I had, was raised with the same sort of entitlement to nature that the various indigenous practitioners around the world don't come from. They come from much more of a place of gratitude for, for the, the air that we breathe, for the water that we drink, for the, the foods that Mother Earth gives us, for, the, the, for you know, all of the various things that we need in order to even survive from nature. And so this idea that illness might be a symptom or a side effect of coming out of harmonious sacred reciprocity in, in Peru, they call it Aini, and you said a word in Hawaii um, that was something similar. In, in, in the Karas, it's A-Y-N-E, and it's like giving and taking in equal measure with nature, and I'm not sure what the Hawaiian word for that is, but I know it's very much a part of the tradition. Well, and, you know, I think the idea that you look back and say, when did you lose that connection? You know, when, when did that start? Because, you know, from a conventional medicine perspective, we might say to somebody, when did the cough start? When did the chest pain start? When did the illness start? But not necessarily look back to say, this might be a manifestation of something else going on in your life. When did the, and, and sometimes I'll say to patients, 
you know, when did the stress get so bad that it became overwhelming that you didn't do those other things that you know, might be taking care of yourself, whether it be doing the walks that you used to do or having time to work on your dietary habits or having time to just, you know, take a deep breath and not be constantly anxious or feeling as though you're on edge. And all of that is a, is a symptom, but it may not really be the root cause or, or really tell you exactly when all of that trauma began. So it sounds like you really, you found that some of the indigenous cultures get truthfully, truthfully, where they start with the root of the issue as opposed to where I might start with the actual symptoms someone's having today. And there might be a disconnect in how we approach that, but what a unique way to integrate and work on those together. Absolutely, and that was that is the very opposite of what we do in the conventional medicine that I was trained in as a medical doctor. Like I, when I started my practice in Marin County in the Bay Area, after leaving conventional medicine or leaving the hospital and starting an integrative medicine practice, which really turned into more of a trauma healing practice. You know, these are people who had done everything already. They had already seen the best doctors at Stanford and UCSF, and they had been to their naturopath and their acupuncturist, and they were taking, you know, working out with their personal trainer and eating their raw vegan diet, and they had the best nutrition. They're taking 100 supplements, and they're meditating and doing yoga, and they were literally the sickest people I'd ever seen. So by the time they came to me, they had already tried all of that. And I started just asking them questions like, what would it take for you to live a life that your body would love? Or what does your body need in order to heal? Or if your body is trying to get through to you to give you a message, what is it trying to tell you? And they would break through with these, and almost everybody would start crying. They would say, I need to leave my husband, or I need to quit my job, or I need to put my mother in a nursing home. She's driving me crazy. Or I have to stop being so enmeshed with my children and let them go, and I need to start 12-stepping my codependence with my, you know, addict son. Or, like, they knew. Or I have this song unsung in me. I know I'm supposed to write a book. Or I'm a musician, but I've never gotten up on stage and played. Or, like, sometimes it was these creative impulses that they'd have. And then another part would come in and say, but I can't do that. That constant little, that nagging voice in our head that says, well, I couldn't possibly. Right. Curious that you feel as though people already knew what they it was. Did. It was, was so close. And what I found with many of these uh, more traditional healers that I was working with is they went there first. These people were coming to me as the absolute last resort, having done everything else in conventional medicine and the sort of more conventional wellness world or the new age health movement or whatever like talking about their trauma or where their lives were out of alignment with their truth was like a last resort and what was the reason that i started some of this research which led to my first book about this topic mind over medicine uh was that people what i found is that people started making these brave changes in their lives and some people who had been suffering for 10 years would come back in tears saying my symptoms are gone it's been only three months are you telling me this was within my power to have changed this a decade ago and they were experiencing this tremendous pain of regret of not realizing that they had any in that they had any influence over this they were feeling at the mercy of their symptoms and not realizing that they might have had some power 
to reverse some of these symptoms. And, and I have to be careful when I say that because people sometimes mistake that as, oh, you're blaming the victim. They, you're saying that they had the power and, you know, and, I, and that's not what I'm saying at all, is that, they, that we can't do better until we know better. And I'm certainly not saying that every illness or every symptom can be reversed by doing root cause work with any psychospiritual issues or any lifestyle changes that we might be able to work on or any trauma that might be in need of healing. But what I found is that for people who had already tried those other things, this is what some of the indigenous healers were doing first. They would start because many of them didn't have the technologies that we have. They didn't have all these other medicines or these surgeries or these medical technologies or these supplements or these, you know, um, very privileged health-inducing things that we have that even in, even in, in my country, in, in our country, um, are often a luxury good. They're often expensive, like to be able to pay to see an integrative medicine doctor that your insurance doesn't cover or to, you know, get organic produce at the Whole Foods or whatever. These are often real luxury goods. And often these indigenous practitioners are working with people who, by Western standards, might be in extreme poverty. But they, they went straight to the trauma. And what was remarkable is that this is not expensive. They often were doing barters. People would come in and trade their fruit or their chickens for, you know, a half an hour with the healer. But, um, you know, to be able to do that first, this was, as a doctor, this was a big paradigm shift for me. Like, what if we started with the root causes? What if we start with the traumatic impact on the body, which we know now, and there's so much good data showing that trauma, psychological trauma, and environmental trauma and collective trauma and racism and all these other traumas that trauma causes disease we know that that's clear the data is you know open and shut case that the science is clear that you know adverse childhood experiences and our ACE scores and developmental trauma which often gets missed altogether and I have a whole chapter about that in sacred medicine I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We will come right back and further our discussion with Dr. Lisa Rankin, the author of Sacred Medicine, and we will share my favorite quote from her in just a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. Dr. Lisa Rankin, I wanted to share with you something that I found so profound in your writing, and, and I think it underscores a lot of what you've mentioned this evening. Your disease is not your fault, and your healing journey is your responsibility. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, that's one of the paradoxes of healing, and... I think so many of the things that are confusing in the realm of healing fall into those categories of paradoxes, like you can heal yourself and you can't do it alone and keep an open mind and don't be so open that your brains fall out, right? And we really have seen this during the pandemic where people tend to polarize into either it's this way or it's that way. And I think particularly when we come into that issue around responsibility and blame, like it is not healing to ever 
blame a suffering person who is sick for their illness. And I get very triggered by these sort of law of attraction teachings that say, well, you manifested your illness with your negative thoughts. That's crazy. That is the opposite of healing. There is no empathy in a teaching like that. And it's true that our thoughts, beliefs, and feelings have an impact on our nervous system, and the state of our nervous system impacts our immune system and the ability of our bodies to heal ourselves. So what we can do is without any blame or shame, without, without any self-contempt, but with nothing but self-compassion, we and can take some responsibility. We could talk the rest of this evening, and I would love to also discuss some of the issues you mentioned with trauma and have another show again. I do want to thank you for taking the time to share your expertise with us. Dr. Lissa Rankin, she is the author of a book that just came out, Sacred Medicine, and you can find it anywhere books are sold. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Thank you to Dr. Lissa Rankin and Sounds True. And we will see you next week when we talk more about health topics right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.